our relationship with God is supposed to be personal. Yes. But what that means is that it is also familial. In the process of us growing in our personal relationship with God, we are welcomed into the family of the church. Hello and welcome to Not So Secular. My name is Mon Reyes and I will be your host here today. From the get-go, I've got two good news for you, two new original resources that you might like and benefit from. The first is that I have a new podcast and the second is that I have a new book. So I am a part of this small group we call the Bible Nerds. We are a group of young Filipino Catholics working with Brother Bo Sanchez in researching and writing the talks we give on a weekly basis at the feast, which is what we call our gatherings. The Bible Nerds podcast is where we take the time to dive deeper and further on the talks the feast leaders give in our regular gatherings. So if you are a feast goer, this is a great added input. But even if you're not, we deliberately designed this to be first-timer friendly, just like the feast. It just has slight differences in terms of how we approach it. Like for example, it's a discussion instead of a preaching. And it's a further exploration specifically on scripture. So go ahead and give it a listen and a follow if you like it. I think you'll find some great value in the content we put there. Secondly, we also have our new book. It's called God Made You Good, How the Book of Genesis Matters to You, written by the same team, Bo Sanchez and the Bible Nerds. Ito naman, this was the fruit of our walk through the book of Genesis as a community. Since last year, we at the Feast have been going through the books of the Bible one by one from the beginning. So we did a series on Genesis, and then after that, we did one on Exodus. And then right now, we just finished going through the book of Leviticus. Next one, after Holy Week, we're going to talk about numbers. This book is the clean and condensed written version of our entire series on Genesis, which is very foundational in the scriptures. The book of Genesis is one of the most referenced parts of the entire Bible and if you would like to learn about it and read it better and pray it better, this book, God Made You Good, might just be helpful to you. If you'd like to get a copy of this, you can do so at Feast Books. I have a link in the description of this episode for that as well as in my link tree, which you can find on my Instagram bio. If you use my link, the people at Feast Books will know that you came from here. It will be a big support to our show, Not So Secular. If you're getting a copy for yourself or for someone you love, please use the link in the description or in my link tree. So those are the two original resources which we have for you. The first one is the Bible Nerds podcast and the second one is the book, God Made You Good, How the Book of Genesis Matters to You. Make sure you get to check both of those resources out. In today's episode, since we're already talking about scripture, I'd like to tell you about how the Bible is meant to be read together in community. What does that mean? We're going to talk about a good amount of history and we'll read some passages together. But let's begin this 
with an imaginative exercise. When you think of someone reading the Bible, what image comes to your mind? How do you imagine it looks like? Do you think of a person holding a thick book, perhaps with a highlighter or a devotional on the side? Because when people in church say that I'm going to have my Bible time, what they often mean is they're going to find a time and place to be alone and to read Scripture. This could be in a room or in your terrace or in a cafe or in front of the Blessed Sacrament. In any of these cases, we imagine it as an individual pursuit. We even call it our personal prayer time. But doesn't that description or that picture, mental picture, come in contrast with the claim that we said earlier that the Bible is meant to be read together and in community. After all, obviously, reading the Bible alone in a solitary place is very different from reading the Bible together in community. And that's what we're going to explore. Before we get further, I'd like to state the obvious first because it seems like I'm contrasting the two ideas. Would I recommend that you have your personal Bible time? Of course I do. I try to do it myself as consistently as I can, although sometimes I fail. This is important. It's a gift that we even get to do it in this way now. This is why at the feast, we have our devotional guides such as Companion, Didache, and Sabbath. And this is why it's good that you have your own Bible at home. So yes, please, do have your personal Bible time alone and in a solitary place. But today, I'd like to introduce as well, alongside that, the idea, okay, this other way of relating with the Bible. Because what if I told you that the way we read our Bibles now, alone and with this thick book, is a fairly recent development in our whole history as Jesus followers? It wasn't always like this. I'd like to share with you two things about this history of reading Scripture. First thing, the Bible was not originally written as a single book. So the Bibles that we have today are often printed in very thin paper, compiled together from one cover in Genesis to the other cover in Revelation. This form is not the way Jesus and the early church experienced the Scriptures. The obvious point is that in the early church, the New Testament was not compiled yet. In fact, the New Testament was being written after the time of Jesus. But even the Old Testament that they did have during that time was not compiled in a single volume. For example, sige, tingnan ulit natin yung New Testament. For the letters of the New Testament, you have Romans, which is the letter Paul wrote to the church in Rome, and you have Philippians, which is the letter Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. When the Romans received their letter from Paul, it didn't come with the rest of the New Testament attached with it, right? It didn't come with the rest of the Bible attached with it. When the Philippians received their letter, it didn't come with the rest of the New Testament, kind of like Romans. And it didn't come with Romans attached to it. They received that letter because that letter was dedicated to them. Now, we have these different letters, Romans, Philippians, along with others like Galatians and Ephesians and so on, compiled in this one single volume. 
what does that mean now? It means that there were times in history when these different parts of the Bible that are now together were not yet compiled in the way that we know it today. In fact, during their time, there were no printed books. What they had were written, handwritten scrolls. Handwritten scrolls. This was true for the New Testament, and it's true for the Old Testament. We'll talk about those two parts, it being a scroll and it being handwritten. Let's talk about the scroll technology first. Because, like I said, they didn't have a complete one-pack volume of the entire thing. Instead, what they had was the scroll of Genesis, the scroll of Isaiah, the scroll of Daniel, and so on and so forth. They saw these texts, these different texts, as interconnected, telling a unified story. But they did not yet have it in the physical form where it is compiled together as one. It wasn't until the 2nd to 3rd century that these different scrolls were put together in book form, which is what we call a codex. Basically, a codex is a bunch of papers put together and bound with a cover. So imagine our notebooks today, the books that we have today. These are later developments of a codex. So a codex is a book. This was the first time we've had papers that we could use as pages. Because it's a scroll, hindi ganun eh. it's just one parchment that you roll. But in a codex, you have different papers or maybe even different parchments parin. Pero it's in this different form where you could write on one side and on the other side. And then you could turn it as you would turn a page. Unlike a scroll that you would have to roll open to read it and then roll back to close it. So this developed during the 2nd and 3rd century, but by the 4th century, it was not until then when it became more widely used compared to scrolls for many reasons. Diba? Some of those reasons include that it was more convenient to compile. So diba? imagine using one codex where everything is together, it's in a book form versus holding 14 scrolls. It's easier to bring one codex compared to 14 scrolls. And the other one is since you could write on both sides of the page, kaya nga in, parang in book form, instead of just one side na parang sa scroll, it was more efficient in terms of the amount of text you could put in the amount of paper or parchment that you had at the time. As you can see, this was an important development in the technology of writing during the ancient times. And one of the beautiful things about this is that Christians had a hand in in the adoption of this new and better method because the Christians wanted to put the Word of God, put the Scriptures together, which is why we have the Bibles that we have today. But because of their desire to put these texts together and to communicate it to others, mas mabilis na develop, kumbaga, yung bagong technology of using codexes, of using books compared to scrolls, which is we still do that today. We still use books today. It's not exactly the same. Siyempre, we have better technology now, but the foundation of it, the idea of it, was developed back then. So that's the first thing that we can see in our history, diba? that the Bible was first written in individual scrolls, not single books. The second is this. During ancient times, if you wanted to create a copy of any written work, you had to write the entire thing by hand. 
Can you imagine? Do you have a Bible with you or near you? Can you take a look at it? Can you imagine yourself picking up that thick book and writing a word-for-word copy of the entire thing by hand to another notebook or to another another blank book? It, it requires a lot of hard work and resources. And this is us speaking from our perspective today. And now we have ballpoint pens and we have lined notebooks that helps us write horizontally properly. They didn't have that back in ancient times. They had to use different materials, parchment, ink, and whatever they had during that time. So what does this mean? It means that having a copy of the Bible, even in book form, yung later on na, was expensive, it was time-consuming, and it was rare. Way rarer than we have it today. Back then, you didn't have bookstores where you could just walk in, you know, go to the faith and spirituality section and say, oh, look, there are five different translations of the Bible that I can choose from, my NLT, NIV, NABRE, and so on and so forth. It even comes in soft-bound or hard-bound form. It even comes in different sizes. In the paper, it's really white, it's really nice, the font is, is clean, it's easy to read. Which one will I choose? The, the ancient people did not have that. If you wanted your own copy of the Bible back then, you had to pay someone to write the entire thing from scratch. And that was a luxury. Not everyone afforded it. This was the reason why the early Jews practiced very good memorization. Because their kids, their kids were trained to recite entire books of the Bible from memory because they didn't have a handy copy that they could have with them all of the time wherever they go. And their rabbis, their teachers, they don't quote verse numbers. But when we're referencing a certain part of the Bible, we would mention the book, we would mention the chapter, and we would mention the verse. So John 3, 16. John is the book, 3 is the chapter, 16 is the verse. That's an easy way for us to locate what part of the Bible we're referring to. But during their time, they didn't have that. Instead of quoting verse numbers, they would recite entire verses. And then the hearers, the entire room who would hear them would go, Oh, yes, yes, he's referring to this passage in the Psalms where it says this and that. And everyone just recognized it based on that one verse that they mentioned. That is how sharp their memory was. We see an example of this in Jesus when he was crucified. One of his last words is that he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now this question, this statement that Jesus said when he was hanging on the cross has been misinterpreted in many ways. But if we were the ancient Jews, hearing that, we would have immediately recognized it. That line, that verse came from the Bible. It came from Psalm 22. And when the people would hear that, they would immediately think of the entire psalm where it talks about suffering, the suffering of the one who was writing the psalm. And immediately we understand that this psalm, oh yes, it's a prayer. It says so much. And when we read that psalm, and then when we look at Jesus on the cross, there is so much that is revealed to us. Ah, okay, now it makes sense why Jesus said that when he was on the cross. I would very much recommend, if you haven't yet checked out that psalm, Psalm 22, go ahead and read it. And then think of what Jesus said, why he said it. 
as you're reading that entire psalm. So yun, dahil nga, they had to write everything by hand if they wanted their own copy. They just practiced their memory and their memory is way sharper than ours today because today we can just note everything down on our phones. They didn't have that luxury. They had to be good at memorizing. This was also the reason why churches throughout the centuries would take measures to preserve and secure the copies of the Bible that they did have so that it wouldn't be damaged or misused. Because some Protestants, not all, but some Protestants would make the claim that the Bibles before the Reformation were locked up in churches so that ordinary people did not have access, so that the Word of God can only be interpreted by the priest or the clergy. And basically, they're trying to say that this is a way for the Catholics to preserve their power. But think about this in this way. If the only Bible you had in your church is the one your pastor uses, I'm pretty sure you wouldn't be too eager to have just anyone and everyone go passing it around. Passing it around, bringing it home, having their way with it, perhaps even doing something sacrilegious, perhaps even damaging it. If that was the only copy of the Bible you had and you couldn't just go to a bookstore and buy another one and you had to invest so much resources just to have a written version of that thing, talagang magiging protective ka, di ba? If this really is the word, the written word of God and that it's your only copy of it, you would make sure to treat it with reverence. You would make sure to protect it. It's not because the, the church wanted to keep the people from being taught the Word of God. In fact, if you want to bring it a little further, part of the reason why we have old, beautiful cathedrals na may mga magagandang art pieces, ang ganda ng architecture, there's this colorful, beautiful stained glass windows. I'm a fan of that. The reason why we had all of this beauty in the way that we built our churches, our cathedrals, is so that the people of the time could tell the story of Jesus. They could tell the story of the Bible even if they didn't have a written copy of it. They would use these images, these statues, these art, and these art would often depict different scenes from the Old Testament or from the time of Jesus and his baptism and his signs and miracles and when he was teaching on the Sermon on the Mount and all of these different snapshots so that referencing these images, referencing these artworks, they could use it as a catechetical tool to teach people. It is a huge and beautiful visual aid. Just as in every church that we have today, we would have a huge crucifix near the altar where we could show this is how Jesus gave himself for us in a very real way. So basically, given the limitations of their time, they encountered the story of the Bible. How did they encounter the story of the Bible? They did it in community with the church. The technology of the printing press, because it was handwritten before, when ng printing press, it wasn't made available until the 15th century. It made the process of copying and recopying a whole lot faster, cheaper, and easier. But this doesn't mean now, for the many years that came before the 15th century, people didn't have an encounter with God's Word. They just did that in a different way from what we know today. They did it, again, in the context of community. They would use their memory 
teach it to one another, say it to one another. And they would use art, these different visual masterpieces that we have until today. And of course, they did read from the Bible. But the way they did it is through proclamation or what we call the public reading of Scripture. Paul talks about this in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13. He said, Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. We still do this today. We have, right, during Mass, we have the liturgy of the Word. What happens there? A designated reader stands in front with a copy of the Scriptures that the community does have, and they read it aloud for everyone else to hear. It is proclaimed. And then the priest would read from the gospel, and then we would have the homily where the priest would take the time to share more, to preach about the Word of God. And because of this, the reading and understanding of the written Word of God today, and for a very long time since the ancient times, it has always occurred within community. In fact, we have examples of these in the scriptures itself. We have an, a powerful example in the book of Nehemiah where in the middle of a huge rebuilding project, because say this was after the exile, the, the Israelites, the exiles, the Israelites were exiled out of the promised land. Their temple was destroyed. Later on, they were allowed back to rebuild. And then during that time, there was Ezra, which is a teacher of the law, what he does is they, they, they put together this huge gathering with all of the people involved. And then what they do is they take the time to read from the scriptures, from the first part of the scriptures to be specific. And they did that for all of the people to hear and respond to. I'm going to read to you this long passage from Nehemiah chapter 8 verses 1 to 7 and pay attention. Pay attention to what happens. This is how it goes. Now, when the seventh month came, and the Israelites had settled in their towns. All the people assembled together as a unit in the square in front of the water gate. Then they asked Ezra the scribe to bring forth the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. Accordingly, on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, as well as all those old enough to comprehend what was said." Facing the square in front of the water gate, Ezra read from the book of the law from dawn until noon in the presence of the men and women as well as those who could understand what was being said. All the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that had been constructed for the occasion. Then Ezra opened the book in sight of all the people, for he was standing above them. As soon as he opened it, all the people rose to their feet. Next, he blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted up their hands as they answered, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed their heads and prostrated themselves before the Lord with their face to the ground. In addition, the Levites helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. Ezra read plainly from the book of the law of God, making its meaning clear so that the people could understand what was being said. This is a very powerful encounter. The passage mentions names that I kind of skipped for the sake of time. You could 
check it yourself. But what happened here is that Ezra, he stood on a wooden platform and read from the scriptures and explained it. It's kind of like a sermon. It's kind of like preaching. It's kind of like a homily. And then you have the Levites, these leaders also, uh, religious leaders as well, who started teaching and explaining further to the people in their own separate groups. Kind of like how we would do small groups today, right? We see this spiritual renewal happening among the people of God because of the proclamation, the public reading and sharing of the Word. This is the Scriptures, the Bible, experienced in community. Later on, after the time of Jesus, when they received the Holy Spirit during Pentecost, in Acts chapter 2, it says in verse 42 that they devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles and to the communal fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayers. They devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles. It says after this that they gathered in temple courts and in the homes of the people. You gather in temple courts for the big gathering. You gather in the homes of the people for the smaller gatherings. They would still have these kinds of proclamations, these kinds of public reading and discussion and exposition of the scriptures. And I love it because in, in our Catholic tradition, Pope Benedict XVI talks about this in Verbum Domini. I want to read to you from paragraph 29. This is what he says. He said, The primary setting for scriptural interpretation is the life of the church. This is not to uphold the ecclesial context as an extrinsic rule to which exegetes must submit, but rather is something demanded by the very nature of the scriptures and the way they gradually came into being. It matters how this written word developed and grew alongside the family of God, the community, over the centuries, over the years. The Bible is meant to be experienced in community. Kind of bring things toward a close. What am I trying to say with all of this? I've got three things for you. First thing is this. It's good to have your time with the Bible alone. This is a gift that we have today. And Christians in the past did not have this luxury. So let's make the most of it. Let's acknowledge it for what it is. It's a gift. And let's read and pray through the Bible as we have it today. Number two, you also need to encounter God's Word with other people. So some parishes and communities would offer small groups or BECs where you get to know the people you attend church with. Ask about that. At the feast, we call it light groups. You could check your parish announcements. There might be a Bible study near you that you could join. That's one way of getting involved. Or you could get plugged in to your family ministries. You might have a couple ministry, a singles ministry, a youth ministry near you. That would be awesome. Or a more organic way of doing that is to make friends. You know, make friends with your neighbors. Make friends with the people that you sit beside with in church or your fellow Jesus followers. Make friends with those who are also interested in knowing Christ and knowing the scriptures. There are certain ways that God can speak to you that will only happen when we are in the context of community. 
one way is that we encourage one another, restore one another's hearts. Because yeah, we have each other. Another is we're able to correct each other and give counsel. Because our perspective is not the only perspective that we hear. Another is we co-discern. We're able to make decisions together. If we need help, if we need perspective, we have people we trust that we could ask. And we know that we trust them because they want what's best for us. And they have the same values. They have the same beliefs as us. Another way is we are challenged to love. Madaling sabihin na gusto natin magmahal. Except pag nakilala na natin yung mga taong kailangan natin mahalin at narealize na natin kung gano'n sila kahirap mahalin. Kasi tao sila. Right? When we are in community, we are challenged to love others. Even if they're difficult to love, we still love them. And we are challenged to receive love because there are times when we are also difficult to love. We're able to remind each other. And when in the community, the last thing is it becomes more obvious to us that if God is our Father, then that makes us brothers and sisters. Our faith is meant to be lived not in isolation, but in community. So like I said, the first thing that we could do is, yes, please do continue reading the Bible alone in your own prayer time. Second is, let's encounter God's Word together with other people. Let's plug ourselves in to our community, to our parishes. And then the third thing is this, let's rely on the teachings of the church. Because now we are invited to theologize. We are invited to meditate. We are invited to participate in the unfolding of God's Word in our lives personally and in the lives of us together in this world. But the beautiful thing is that we don't have to start from scratch. In the past 2,000 years that the church has done her best to follow Christ, has sought to follow Christ, there are many teachings, many traditions, many practices, many corrections even that we have learned and developed. Knowing Christ is not something that you do on your own. We can stand. We have this blessing. We can stand on the shoulders of the priests, the pastors, the theologians, the saints, and the lay faithful in our past, in our history, and see how they have met and encountered Christ. Our Christian tradition is so rich. Let's learn to receive and participate in it. This is one way of reading the Bible in community. We have our church and what she teaches. Finally, I want to read to you one last paragraph, again from Pope Benedict XVI in Verbum Domini. This is from paragraph 86, and this is what he said. One must avoid the risk of an individualistic approach and remember that God's Word is given to us precisely to build communion, to unite us in the truth along our path to God. While it is a word addressed to each of us personally, it is also a word which builds community, which builds the church. As such, it is important to read and experience sacred scripture in communion with the church, that is, with all the great witnesses to this word, beginning with the earliest fathers up to the saints of our own day up to the present-day magisterium. Wow. Our relationship with God is supposed to be personal, yes. But what that means is that it is also familial. In the process of us growing in our personal relationship with God, 
we are welcomed into the family of the church. Again, the Bible is meant to be read in community. That is it for today. Thank you very much for listening all the way through. Again, we have our new podcast and our new book. Please use the links in the description for those. I will continue to do this podcast alongside the new one. Of course, this is not going to stop just because I have a new podcast already. But I do need your support. And there are two things that you could do to help out. First, your prayers. Your prayers are very important. It is very much appreciated. Second, if God is calling you to give toward our efforts here to make a donation, you'll find links to that in the description. Having more funds for this show will help me dedicate more time in producing content, which I want to do. So that means more episodes and other efforts alongside it, such as dedicated groups and occasional live streams. This will also help me acquire better equipment for a better audio experience. If that's something God is calling you to do, then please do partake in the efforts in what we are doing here through this podcast. That is all for today. Thank you, and I'll see you in our next episode. Bye!